podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Italy destroyed Turkey in Rome, extending their unbeaten run to 28, scoring three for the very first time in a European Championships match, and in the process, lighten their shade a little bit as dark horses for this tournament. I'm Jake from Watch Football, What If Football, and this is the Euro Daily Podcast here on the What If Football Network, episode six. It will be going out wherever you get your podcast, be it Acast, Amazon Music, Apple, or Spotify, and if you are a very generous folk. In our sphere, you can listen to it on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash whatifffootball. Any donations are greatly gen- greatly appreciated in this trying time. But let's push on with today's show. We'll also be previewing the home nations. We'll be previewing Denmark versus Finland, Belgium versus Russia, and of course, Wales kick off their European Championships campaign later on this afternoon. So we start with Turkey versus Italy. Turkey went into the European Championships having lost all four of their previous openers at the European Championships, one of which included was a loss against Italy in Euro 2000 as well. A tournament where they went to the quarterfinals, Italy went to the finals. So an omen there perhaps? Probably not. Italy are perennial slow starters in um, international tournaments really. Probably maybe a bit overinflated thanks to... uh, Euro 1982, of course, where they drew all three group games and somehow went on to win the tournament, you know, Paolo Rossi, etc. Um, they have won three of their eight openers at the European Championships, losing just the once. And of course, this one was in the W column, scoring three goals in the process in their very first time they scored in three goals in a European Championships match, which is frankly insane statistic there. The first half I would describe as a bit of a... Uh, that sensation, that feeling when you uh, you need a sneeze for ages and it, it just never comes out and there's all this expectation, there's all the the feeling of satisfaction when the sneeze is finally coming out and then it never explodes into life. You've got Turkey sitting very well in the, their defensive block. They sat deep in a 4-1-4-1, almost a 5-4-1 really, really with uh, OK Lukoslu sitting back almost as a third centre-half there. And I think Turkey would, they looked... They had glimpses of stuff going forward. Karaman was a good out ball. Yilmaz was um, making Chiellini and Bonucci slightly uncomfortable with his, uh, with his runs, uh, but it was all too rarely. There wasn't enough runners for Turkey coming off the back of um, back of those counter-attacks. I felt Zeki Celik, the right-back at Turkey, neither committed to join the attack nor had the, the defensive responsibility required to... Uh, win this match. He was caught lacking for one of the very first chances of the championships. Lorenzo Insigne curling wide from uh, his left half space that he cut in all too much and um, Italy had a great makeup in this first half. Well, in the second half really, they were dominant in possession. It was a dominant territorial display as well. You had um, Florenzi staying back with Chiellini and Bonucci almost in like a back three Jorginho being a deep playmaker pulling the strings and that's one thing that if Italy are to come unstuck it is if Verratti doesn't come back and you've just got Jorginho ahead of those defenders ahead of two defenders that 
aren't they're a bit aging aren't they? they're a bit slow maybe the uh in their mid 30s so them two and Jorginho against world-class opposition. Imagine them uh, with an Mbappe, a Griezmann, a Benzema running at them. Um, that probably will be the difference between a semi-final and winning the tournament for me um, in my predictions, which you can go back and listen to that I made on uh, on Thursday. Now, I had Italy going out to France in the semi-finals. It's for reasons such as that. Whilst Florenzi stayed in a back three almost, um, Spinazzola was so high on the corresponding left-back role that he was practically a winger. You've got Lorenzo Insigni and Domenico Berardi as inside forwards, pretty much making a central three alongside um, Ciro Mobile. Meanwhile, on the right, the width came from Nicolo Barella um, as a traditional Italian mezzala, finding himself in the right channel out wide. And um, Manuel Locatelli would join the attacks as well, but push forward a bit more centrally and slightly off the likes of Immobile. Turkey's wall of meat, as they like to be called, <laughs> they stayed fairly resolute, didn't they, really? Um, on the ball, they were fairly nervous. A couple of straight passes, a couple of uh, needless losses of possession. And I thought um, Chagalasiontri was probably the uh, the instigator for quite a lot of those. The, his passing range, he was trying the lofted diagonal balls out to the fullbacks, but his passing range was slightly off a couple of times. The, um, he took those long passes and just put them straight out of touch. Um, he lost the, couple, the ball a couple of times in possession as well. And I thought Turkey looked very, very nervous. I'm like, of course, it is a it is a young Turkey team, let's not forget. But um, I thought as the game wore on, they sort of, in possession, they looked a bit better. Of course, Italy's game is to press very high and very uh, aggressively, um, akin to the new Serie A style we've seen over the past few years. And Italy were very composed. You've got Dominico Berardi given a lot of licence to drift out um, onto the left wing as well. And we've seen him provide Chiro Mobley with a great chance from the left channel, but ultimately Mobley's header went wide and the best chances were probably from headers from uh, Italy in the first half at least. And the chance of the half, the, one of the saves, the, the save of the championship so far, obviously, uh, was a simple corner. Giorgio Chiellini headed in and it looks as though it was nestling in the top corner, but Shaka in the uh, Turkish net had an absolutely unbelievable save tipped over the bar. Um, for Turkey going forward, Yilmaz, he was, of course, the advertised focal point, really, but I feel as though Karaman provided a bit more glimpses going forward. He could hold the ball up well. Um, it, Turkey just needed a few more runners. Kahlanoglu, Kahlanoglu, sorry, um, he, he he didn't really get on didn't really get on the ball as much as I'd like. He didn't provide runs as much as I would like. And there was no... Once Turkey won the ball high up the pitch, they had to run. There was no passing and movement, that which which they needed that little extra bit to uh, complete a counter-attack to be successful. And that's the reason why Turkey only really had one shot on target, or one shot at all. And that was even when uh, Kengiz Under came off, came on for uh, Yusuf Yuzici in the uh, at the half-time break. The talking point of the um, of the first half was a potential penalty, potential handball in the uh, Turkish box. I, it was not for me. Um, I probably won't throughout these Euro Daily podcast dwell too much on the VAR and the refereeing decisions, really, because I think it's just fruitless at the end of the day. Um, I don't think it was a penalty. It was too close to the attacker. His arms were fairly close to his body, weren't they? So I mean, it was the distance <laughs> on the border, isn't it? Really, but. I wouldn't give it. Give the defender the benefit of the doubt there. It would have been a shame for the uh, first goal of the tournament to be a penalty, wouldn't it? Although, of course, the first goal of the tournament was a own goal. So 
I thought Spinozola was the man of the match for me anyway. He was taking up fantastic positions on that left. Berardi as well. I didn't have him in my starting eleven. I had for Federico Chiesa because of his superb season with Juventus. And um, Berardi's intelligent runs were fantastic. Um, the low block of Turkey, I thought out of, off the ball, defensively they were fantastic. And um, he kept Chiro Mobley unusually quiet. And Turkey, this will be their game plan for this game, a low block. But against the likes of Switzerland and Wales, after, especially after this result at least, um, they're going to have to do something a bit different, aren't they? Because they're going to have to go out and attack Switzerland and Wales, um, who are very much like what Turkey did today, or last night rather, and um, defend quite low, look to counter. And I slightly worry for Turkey in terms of being countered by the likes of Dan James, Gareth Bale, Briel Mbolo in terms of pace and the Turkish defenders are fairly young, fairly um, inexperienced when it comes to this sort of thing, this uh, this tournament football. So Turkey are going to have to change their ways in terms of how they, and they will to be fair, the, um, the main focus for Italy was the inside forwards of Berardi and, um, and Insigne. Immobile almost completing a, a good move close to the end of the first half. He was getting into the game a lot more. His sort of influence was um, being seen a lot more at the end of the first half and he almost completed it, but his shot was fairly tame. It was fairly low into the keeper's arms. And for me, the halftime substitute that changed it was a defensive one. Well, it, it was a defender on the um, on the pitch coming on for another defender in terms of Di Lorenzo coming on for Florenzi, but it was a very offensive move. I think Mancini realised that Turkey were there to be got. They weren't going to provide anything going forward, and they didn't really. I mean, Kengi's under. He was a lot quicker, a lot fresher than Yuzike, and he he provided the only shot that Turkey had in the game, and he looks bright, but by the time he came on, a lot of Turkey players were flagging, and if they're flagging now... Only one game into a potential seven-game tournament. It's quite bad news, that isn't it? Really, they might have to um, they might have to switch things up for the upcoming Wales game in a couple of days' time. Uh, but yeah, the halftime sub from Italy changed. It Di Lorenzo coming on for Florenzi, and knowing that Turkey wouldn't provide much, they didn't have the runners coming off the Karimane Yilmaz and under as well. Um, Di Lorenzo pushed high, just like uh, Spinazzola on the other side. And it left Giorgino a bit more like a halfback, um, as in a three, really, um, with uh, Bonucci and Chiellini. And Italy were, even despite the ultra-attacking wing-backs, full-backs, well, they were wing-backs, but they were almost wingers, um, Turkey, they were still comfortable because Turkey just weren't a threat. And um, just as Under was perhaps lighting a spark for Turkey, Italy got the breakthrough, and it was, it was, it was kind of... Uh, a sickener for Turkey because it came from it wasn't had it wasn't a mistake was it it was Umar Marash the Turkish left back he just lost his footing and it's very unfortunate because I think Turkey were growing into the game they had the break under was uh, starting to make things click for them and his slip allowed Berardi through on goal and he just fired a shot well fired it was a wayward it was a cross come shot wasn't it uh, he blasted it at Mary Damaral's chest on goal. And it was the first on goal to open a European Championships ever. You might uh, remember, I think it was Marcelo at the 2014 World Cup for Brazil against Croatia. He opened that World Cup up with an on goal as well, didn't he? Demiral, of course, one of the few Turks to be playing his club football in Italy as well. And I think it was always going to 
come down that right wing as soon, especially as soon as Di Lorenzo was bursting higher up the pitch. Um, also, Barella was. Uh, I think I a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of uh, love for Locatelli, a lot of love for Spinazzola as well. Um, but that influence down the right is because of Barella's, you know, drifting out to the right channel and you know these little triangles with Berardi with Di Lorenzo. I thought that was why Italy did so well and they were so potent down that right. I thought Insignia. Maybe a bit too one-dimensional. He was always doing the same move, curl, cutting curl to the far post. Obviously, that makes me sound stupid because that's where he found his goal from. But he, he was a slightly bit more one-dimensional. And even though Spinazzola was my man of the match, the influence came from Barella and uh, Di Lorenzo once he came on the uh, once he came on the pitch. The beauty of this goal for Italy was that Turkey had to come out and play. They had to come out and play as though they needed a goal and as though they would play against uh, Switzerland and Wales. And to be fair, Turkey didn't get too much chance until the second goal came in, again from the right wing. And um, across found Spinazzola on this corresponding wing inside the box. I thought he was going to score complete a fantastic display, but he would produce a a save from Chakir. And Immobile was on the spot. Poachers finished marksman. Just cut across it, nice little fade into the bottom corner, 2-0. And for me then, the game was over. Italy were just absolutely dominant. Turkey weren't offering anything. They were obviously dejected. The legs were running almost on empty. And um, it was uh, a fantastic display from Italy. And deserving a 3-0, really. It could have even been more if uh, the likes of Insignia and Immobile were a bit more influential, a bit more... uh, bit more decisive in that final third for me uh, maybe they will have to uh, hone in on that because 24 shots I think it was and producing three goals and one of them goals was an own goal it doesn't um, they didn't smack too much of uh, converting them chances for me and if they're going to play huge teams I'm dragging Italy down now but they did play very very well in the midfield in the you know creating the chances it's just the finishing of those chances and obviously that will come as the tournament comes on I think you know playing with each other a lot more knowing each other's uh, strengths weaknesses runs into the box runs outside of the box etc etc I think Italy will only improve but uh, as I say the weaknesses I think for me at the back are Giorgino in front of the two and conversion of chances really and as I said I was th- I thought Insignia was a bit one dimensional always looking to cut in and I think his shots with his right foot, obviously, he always looks like that curling shot. They hadn't found the range. He had a couple that were just skewed a bit wide into the goalkeeper's arms, etc. And even with this predictability, the third goal, it just came. It was simple. It was a beautiful move as well. Um, obviously, Mancini's desire to counter-press high up the pitch. Um, they pressed the defence. The goalkeeper didn't... It was a pretty shocker of a, a goal kick, really. Um, Turkey looked absolutely out on their ass, to be fair, which isn't a good sign going into the rest of the tournament. But I do think it's uh, their hardest game out of the way. And now with the hardest game of the group out of the way, they'll be going to Baku now for the Wales match, for the for the uh, Switzerland match. They'll be energised, pretty much a home backing because uh, not many Welsh fans, not many Swiss will be going out to Baku. We'll see that later on, see if, um, see if that's the case. But obviously Turkey is uh, neighbouring with Azerbaijan, so it's almost like a home field. I remember... Was it Russia in Poland in year 2012? That was almost like a home game for Russia. And they were playing Poland. It was it was absolutely magical. Obviously, we won't get those levels because of, you know, COVID, etc. Uh, but I do think Baku's stadium hold a lot more. So Turkey will definitely have the advantage, home advantage almost there. 
And um, a pithy point was made in commentary on the BBC, at least, that Turkey conceded as many as many last night as they did in qualification. Also, I would say that since qualification for the Euros, it's been a long time, let's not forget, they have also conceded three goals in one game to Latvia. So defensively, not as great, even in the 4-2 win against the Netherlands, where the Netherlands didn't look too great, they conceded twice. Obviously, that was a win, so it doesn't matter too much, but the defensive cracks are slightly there. And I ask our Italy champions-elect, I think they were relatively untested today, but um, Benucci and Chiellini against those top attacks, I see them, that's a point where they could come unstuck. But Italy have fantastic strength in depth. We've seen that at wing-back with Di Lorenzo coming on and pretty much just forcing the issue a little bit more um, whilst... uh, Florenzi was slightly back, but obviously that was a tactical instruction from Mancini. And then obviously at half time he changed it, knowing that there's nothing really to worry about. A lot of people come into this tournament thinking that Turkey could make a semi final, a final. Um, but obviously, I think people have bigged them up a little bit too much, me included. I was telling people Turkey are going to win today. <laughs> but obviously, that was slightly unfounded. Obviously, Italy are a fantastic team. There was no first match nerves especially in front of the home crowd which could be uh, could be something um but yeah they've got they've got great strength in depth the midfield is fantastic especially they've still got Verratti to come back they've obviously got Bernadeschi and Chiesa on the wings um strikers obviously they've got multiple strikers Blotty can come in off of something different they've got Raspadori as well um who was my one to watch and he didn't get on the pitch unfortunately but I'm hoping uh Mancini saves him for the for the uh Wales game and the final game and he uh bags a few goals Italy should have the same game plan against Wales and Switzerland. Two teams will drop even deeper and be a bit more stoic. And it's just all about that chance creation, especially against Wales and Switzerland. I fear with Wales being the third game, it will be a bit like the uh, Ireland game at Euro 2016. The uh, Robbie Brady goal, they rest a lot of players. They just rest them for the round of 16. But the the game plan will still be there. The pushing high up the pitch, the counter press, the um, looking to press them until the... uh, make a mistake which is what the third goal here was um turkey i don't think it's a time to judge them um obviously it was a 3-0 defeat and a 3-0 defeat at european championships can be damaging but they are going to be very very different games against the welsh and the swiss they sit a lot deeper or they will obviously will sit a lot deeper than italy they're not going to come out and play they come to counter so turkey will actually will it'll be a completely different game it may as well be a different sport to what they played tonight they were i thought they were really good in terms of off-the-ball defence, which could be a good thing against teams that aren't Wales and Switzerland, admittedly, if they get into the knockout phase. Um, but the chance conversion, the runners off the ball, which wasn't lack, was, was lacking here, um, I think they'll uh, definitely need um, a lot more of that going forward. But it is a different game plan for Wales and Switzerland. We'll see today how uh, Wales and Switzerland will uh, get on. We'll be previewing that. We'll be previewing all the home nations and the other two games that are coming up today. Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia. After this short break, and of course, we've got a 2021 trivial teaser. Welcome back. So I think I made this 2021 trivial teaser today a bit too easy. Um, Ruben Neves was the answer, of course. Well done to uh, Ronnie Sol, Paza SAFC and Jake Collinson. For that one, I will make it a bit harder, I think, uh, today. And as promised, our teaser answer today, he's a forward. I'm not going to stretch to any more specifics than that. He's a forward. He's played underneath Carlo Ancelotti and Sir Alex Ferguson. 
Some of his teammates have been Alvaro Arbeloa, John O'Shea, Gonzalo Higuain, Spinazzola, Lorenzo Spinazzola, and Paolo Dybala. He's a forward, he's played alongside John O'Shea, Alvaro Arbeloa, Gonzalo Higuain, Spinazzola, Dybala, and he's played underneath Sir Alex Ferguson and Carlo Ancelotti. You can find out the answer on tomorrow's show. Tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube if you think you have the correct answer there. After this short break, we'll be discussing the home nation's chances and previewing today's football matches. Euros fever. Welcome back to today's show. So, let's preview the home nation. So, I pulled you on our Twitter account. That's at whatif underscore YouTube if you're wondering, if you're not already. Jumping aboard the hype train, anyway. 71% of you said Wales are going out at the groups. This was pulled, obviously, before uh, last night's match. Uh, 20% of you said last 16. None of you said quarterfinal. But quickly enough, maybe it's uh, home pride, national pride. 9% of you said semi-final or further. So today, they're opening their game up at 2pm, opening their championships up in Baku against Switzerland. And for me... This is the most interesting game of Group A because you've got two extremely defensive teams. Who's going to blink first? It could be a nil-nil washout. <laughs> both play three at the back. Both want to counter. I feel Wales have got a bit more of a backup plan because they could play split forwards with Dan James and Gareth Bale, which I think they will do today um, in a 3-5-2 as opposed to a 3-4-3. Alternatively, of course, they could play Kiefer Moore as the... Uh, Target man, they could play some uh, kick and rush football. We've <laughs> got old British kick and rush football. But I do think this is the most interesting game of Group A to see whose defence is a bit more sturdier. Now, in the preview, in the uh, predictions that I made on Thursday, which again, go back and listen to, uh, I said Switzerland will have the advantage because they've got the better defence. Uh, Connor Roberts, I outlined as a weakness in terms of uh, defence in uh, right back. Of course, he can bomb on and do good things there. Nico Williams, I think is a good asset for Wales at left wing back with uh, Ben Davis tucking in. It get, makes them a lot better defensively if Ben Davis plays centre back as a left of a three. Ethan Ampadu, I love, obviously. Um, I just think Do- uh, Switzerland are a bit more uh, a bit more experienced in that back three. You've got Kanji, you've got Elvedi, both um, Bundesliga stalwarts as well, of course. Fabian Scher at Newcastle. They're all leaders that can all marshal the uh, the defence. Going forward for Switzerland is where, I, um, where I'm worried for them. I don't think they'll uh, get out of the groups, as I said, on Thursday. But likewise with Wales, I don't think they'll get out of the group either. It could be a case of this being a draw and a, pretty much a group of attrition outside of Italy. And obviously Wales will go on on Wednesday, 5pm in Baku. Going to be a tough essentially an away game there and that game will change the entire outcome of the entire group. I think that's the most important game, obviously Turkey and Switzerland on the final day. We'll know a lot more there, what Turkey need, what Switzerland need and of course what Wales can do against Italy in Rome, which is Sunday the 20th at 5pm again. I've got a sneaky suspicion that Italy will beat Switzerland quite comfortably. Um, Maybe not as comfortably as they did uh, last night uh, with Turkey. Um, have six points, be assured of top spot already. Maybe if Wales can get a draw out of Turkey, and this is where I think the draws could hamper whoever finishes in third place, which I think will be Switzerland. And 
well, it's, it would come down to goal difference and head-to-head and all this, uh, <laughs> all these permutations. But I think Italy will rest a lot of players with qualifications sealed anyway. I'll, uh, Ireland in 2016, and if you know if Wales can spring that surprise, that Robbie Brady-esque winner from Lille the, all those years ago, uh, which is more than more than uh, likely, if Mancini rests for the last 16, there's nothing to say that Wales can't do that. I just don't um, see even with a even with a uh, second string. I think Italy will be a bit too strong for Wales. I'd love for Wales to go on a, a similar run to the uh, semi-finals this time. Obviously, home nation. I, I in terms of club football, I don't back any of the English teams, <laughs> apart from my own, of course. But in terms of international football, I'd love to the to see the home nations do very well. I don't know about. I don't know if I feel conflicted if they won it. Because there's always that lingering thing in the back of your mind that they're never going to win it. Um, also, you could say that about England, couldn't you? Really, so <laughs> swings and roundabouts. So if if Wales win the group, it is unlikely, yeah, but they could win it. They've still got to play. If they win all three games, which is more than possible, um, if they win the group, it's Ukraine and Austria or Austria in the uh, in the second round, um, which would throw up. I think I don't think Austria is strong at all. Um, I think it probably would be Ukraine. It's I think it's uh, the second place in that group, so it's more than often more likely than not going to be Ukraine. I think I think that'll be a very interesting last sixteen game. It's not probably not going to happen. Um, two decent teams on the ball. Ukraine probably bring it a bit more than Wales in that respect in terms of attacking um, onus. Uh, second place in the group, another tough tie would be Denmark. If Denmark finished second in Group B, equally could be Belgium. Never know if Denmark could win the group. Um, Denmark have a very, very strong team and a lot of people have slept on them in terms of um, dark horses, but we'll uh, get onto that in a minute or so. And if Wales finish third, they'll meet the winner of Group B, E or F, which is likely to be uh, Belgium, Spain or France. Equally, Sweden could spring a surprise, obviously, with Spain's COVID situation um, ongoing. Of course, uh, Sweden have a similar situation as well, which is going to hamper this tournament a little bit and take the gloss off it, I think, a little bit. And the Group F, it could easily be Portugal. It could easily be Germany, but I think it's probably between France and Portugal and probably going to be France because they've got the best team. And I think last 16, whichever the outcome is, I think Denmark will have too much for Wales. I think obviously Belgium, Spain or France would be very, very difficult. Obviously, they've got uh, previous against Belgium in the year 2016, which uh, both teams are very, very different. Wales play a lot different to uh, they did in 2016. Belgium, I don't think, are... As strong as they were in 2016, they've got a few players. Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Lukaku, have got more form. They're obviously, richer for the experiences of the past five years, but also Hazard isn't there. Defenders are very old now. Um, they are to be got at, especially with that quick attack that they've got with Dan James, Gareth Bale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Belgium, Wales could be a very, very uh, even game, and it's quite likely if. Wales finish third and draw Belgium, but obviously the permutations are go well beyond Group A for that one, so that is out of their hands. Now on to Scotland. 52% of you said the group stages are where they will falter at, whilst 42% of you believe that they will uh, get through the last 16, get through to the last 16, and they will uh, meet their demise then. And going further, 6% of you think quarterfinals are further, 3% for the quarterfinals, and 3% for the semifinals are further. I would love that. Um, if they made the semi-finals, that would be fantastic. Now, 
Scotland kick off their campaign on Monday with a home tie against Czech Republic at 2pm. And this is the opposite of England's start, obviously. Uh, they start with the easiest game going. They've got previous with Czech Republic and Glasgow beat them twice. Um, could easily have qualification sealed with three points here, just as long as they don't ship loads of goals against England and Croatia. With three points, we've seen it uh, in 2016, you only need three points to get through if you're in third. So they could easily beat Czech Republic and then be assured of qualification. Obviously, the England game is absolutely no pressure on them for Scotland. It's just, it is a free-for-all. It's a bonus. Just don't concede loads. Just, you're fine. That's obviously Friday 18th, 8pm. Couldn't be in a better time slot, really, could it? Friday night, Wembley Stadium. Oh, that's the game of the tournament for me. I'm looking forward to that one. And yeah, there's no pressure on Scotland. The pressure is all on England, especially if England's result against Croatia doesn't go too well tomorrow, um, which we'll, of course, be discussing on Monday morning. And with Croatia at Tuesday 22nd, 8pm again, back in Glasgow, back on home turf. Everything could be settled there. Um, if they are third, just don't concede lots. And obviously Croatia's midfield is fabled. They've got great experience in there. Scotland, it will be probably something that Croatia won't have faced up until that point at three at the back, depending on how England play, of course. Um I do think that Scotland could get out Croatia, really get a point, especially on home territory. Croatia, on paper, they've got the better team, haven't they, really? Um, I just... Um, I just I think I just think Croatia have a bit too much to uh, for Scotland there. I think it will be second, Croatia, Scotland third. Although Czech Republic, let's not discount them. They are a, a decent enough team. Socek, Alex Kral in that double pivot in a 4-2-3-1. Yankto and Schick are dangerous going forward, which we'll see on Monday. And obviously, Vladimir Kufal and a decent enough backline that has been obviously hampered by the suspension of Kudela, Andre Kudela there, um, which will make it a very enticing game for Scotland. They'll want to go out and win that, obviously, um, for those circumstances earlier on in the season. Now let's go to England. 21% of you say last 16 exit, which is entirely plausible, given uh, even though that England are supposedly the favourites, which... <laughs> depending on who you ask. I don't think the favourites at all. Uh, quarterfinal, 25% of you say that. 32% of you say semi-final. So again, um, a replication of 2018 World Cup. And the final 22% of you think England will make their first final since 1966. So Croatia tomorrow, 2pm, Wembley. Every game's at Wembley. So if there's no win in this match, um, the pressure absolutely ramps up for the Scotland game. Obviously, more than a whiff of Euro 96 about that one. If they draw there and then play Scotland, it's, it's, um, I think they are going to play three at the back. I think they're going to play Ben White. I think they'll play Walker at centre-back or Rhys James at centre-back. But I think it'll be Walker centre-back um, with um, Rhys James at right wing-back. And I think that's how they're going to go. They're going to play Rice and Bellingham or Rice and Phillips with Henderson not fully there in terms of match fitness and I think they're going to play pragmatic football against Scotland against Croatia at least I think they'll open it up a little bit against Scotland and Czech Republic they might have to if they don't get a result at Croatia uh, they do have results over Croatia over them obviously they took four points off them in the Nations League obviously it's a whole different kettle of fish really um, but that is the big game that'll change the entire course of the tournament for England I think it's like with Wales when they played Slovakia at Euro 2016 getting that early goal it uh, getting the late goal as well killed Slovakia's time. Kill got Wales on the track to uh, 
to push for that group stage uh, progression to the obviously the semi-finals, etc. And likewise, England at Euro '96, they got the point against Switzerland, but then it all turned on the the penalty miss for Gallant McAllister, and then obviously the Paul Gascoigne goal. Twenty five years almost to the day of that tie, we'll see another England Scotland affair will be one of the highlights of the group stage. The whole all home nation match, in terms of England's perspective, is not what you want, is it? You'd want anybody but Scotland. Or if it was Wales, anybody but Wales. It's always a worry, especially if you're the favourite, because there's a derby. It's pretty much a club match, isn't it? There's a derby. It's always a worry. It's a bit of nerves going into it. Obviously, bragging rights. Obviously, you don't want to lose to your neighbours, your big rivals there. And when there's no pressure on the opposition it is a, that much harder because they will just go out and play football. Alternatively, England do have, I wouldn't say vastly superior players. Obviously, Scotland have got a lot of talent. Tierney, Robertson, McTominay, Shea Adams up front, I think he's going to have a good tournament. I think they're going to get out of the groups and he's going to score a couple of goals for them. Um, alternative, Lyndon Dykes as well. He's a fantastic forward. And then England go to the Czech Republic game on Tuesday the 22nd again at 8pm. Um, Czech Republic aren't the team they were when England pumped them 5-0 at Wembley in qualification. Nonetheless, it should be the easier group game for England. And I do think um, winning that will be good for momentum. If, say, for example, there are drop points against Croatia or Scotland, the Czech Republic game can either be used as a rest if there's a two wins, or it can be used as a slingshot for momentum to uh, push on for the remainder of the tournament, especially since the last 16 game will be tough. If they win the group, it's going to be Portugal, Germany or France. Probably not going to be Hungary, no disrespect to Hungary, um, but I think it's going to be one of those big hitters. And out of those, you'd probably fancy Germany from an England perspective, which is all kinds of wrong when you you know look back on the history, you know, 1990, 1996, 2010 as well, let's not forget. Um, but I think England have just got the better of Germany. We obviously, you can't discount the Germans at tournaments ever. Um, and I'll be reminding everybody about that when the inevitable happens and um, Germany beat us on penalties. Obviously, second in the group is slightly more profitable. You've got Sweden or Poland or Slovakia. Um, you finish second, which is obviously second in Group E. Obviously, that bear a lot of fruit for England in the uh, last World Cup, finished second, lost to Belgium and had a plain sailing ride. Obviously, you can't. it's pointless predicting the... Uh, the knockout phase strategy, especially in the 2014 tournament, which made my which made my predictions podcast so fruitless a couple of days ago, because there are different permutations depending on which team's progress out of the group. You could be for an entirely different team in the quarterfinals, and it's pointless planning for the quarterfinals. Unlike in the World Cup, when it's you know months in advance what's basically going to happen. Obviously, shocks aside, there you know who's going to be in what path. And especially going into the third match day, you know, then, especially from a, a later on group, it was Group G, wasn't it, in 2018? And England knew it was Colombia and then Sweden or Switzerland to get to a World Cup semi-final. And that will obviously give you a lot of confidence. Now it's probably going to be a bit different. It's going to be probably Portugal, then Spain, um, if England are successful in the groups, where it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Croatia beat England tomorrow. Obviously, from a Welsh and Scottish perspective, if you're that of of that persuasion um but it wouldn't because that would mean second in the group and it would mean an easier ride into the quarterfinals obviously then the quarterfinal will be against a very good team probably be against a spain or a uh or a belgium or an italy it 
it's impossible to predict. And we go to preview the today's games. We've also got Denmark versus Finland in Copenhagen. And I'm looking forward to this purely just to see Finland because they're the best part of their squad is the midfield. But on the other side of it, Denmark's best part of their team is the midfield, the insane midfield three. You've got Hoiberg, you've got Delaney, you've got Eriksson. And I do think in terms of rivalries, I said it was a group of rivalries here outside Belgium. Finland versus Russia might have a bit more grit and rivalry about in St. Petersburg later on down the line. But Nordic matches are usually mild and amicable. There is a clear favourite for Denmark winning there. But I, do, I am interested to see how Finland line up. And it is their first ever tournament football match, so it's exciting for them. There is English interest as well. Uh, Anthony Taylor is the referee. <laughs> but aside from that, Belgium versus Russia in St. Petersburg. They both met in qualification. Belgium did them twice, 4-1 and 3-1. 3-1 back in Russia. Belgium coasted through, obviously, 10 wins from 10 in qualification. Meanwhile, Russia's only losses in qualification were to Belgium. Despite the, lo- the location... Belgium are clear favourites. I have Russia in this tournament at fourth place. I think the defence is an absolute shambles. They're quite ageing. The mood is significantly down from 2018. Obviously, they're playing at home for two of the games at least, but it's not got that same feel to it that 2018 World Cup has, does it really? I think Finland could take some off them in St. Petersburg, to be, to be blunt. Um, I don't think Russia will get any change out of Belgium. I don't think they'll get any change out of Denmark. I don't think that... I think Belgium will sweep them aside, even with the injury worries they've got. You know, they've got Axel Witzel. He's potentially out for the tournament. They've, took, they've taken him anyway. He's not played football since January uh, from a club side of things. Kevin De Bruyne is nursing that orbital bone injury. Eden Hazard hasn't played international football for 18 months. So the, there is... Some things in there that say that Belgium aren't as strong as what you might think. Alternatively, of course, you can never doubt them because they've got Lukaku up front. They've got buckets of talent. Telemans will be one of their players of the tournament. The strength in depth isn't too great once they drop off from like the top 15 players or whatever. Um, but they do have exciting talent. They've got Dries Mertens. They've got Jeremy Doku as well. I just don't think, they're not the team that they were three years ago, five years ago, but you cannot discount them. The ageing defence as well, I think, is a problem. A bit like Italy, really, when they come up against stronger teams. Which is why it'll be interesting if Belgium and Italy meet in the quarterfinals or last 16 or whatever. Because it'll be two ageing defences, two fantastic attacks. Who's going to win? It's, I'd love to see that. Obviously, in 2016, Belgium got the uh, Italy got the better of them. Um, even though Belgium, I think, that probably their best chance at winning the tournament was 2016. In terms of Denmark, I think they're slept on as dark horses. A lot of people talk about Turkey. That talk might be a bit quashed after last night. <laughs> um, a lot of people talk about Ukraine as well because of, obviously, uh, the the way they qualified ahead of Portugal. You've got Roman Yaramchuk, you've got Rosalind Malinovsky. Two attacking talents. But I think Denmark have got a great strength in depth. They've got experience. That's the last 16, three years ago in the World Cup. They've got good times for the club players as well. Kasper Schmeichel, he's won an FA Cup this season. Andreas Christensen won a Champions League, almost won an FA Cup as well, to be fair. Simon Kier is, uh, Simon Kier is one of the more experienced central defenders at the tournament. He's fantastic for AC Milan. They did really well in uh, Serie A as well, of course. Eriksson won a, won a league with Inter Milan. You know, Thomas Delaney and Pierre-Emile Hoiberg always do well in that double pivot. Martin Brathwaite, of course, moved from Middlesbrough to Barcelona in the time that since we last been at an international tournament. So 
they have strength in depth. They have a great style of play under Hjalmund, a decent young manager taken over from the old guard there. And I think Denmark have got a very good chance of getting to the quarterfinals, semifinals maybe, because if they finish second, they've got a kind quarter of the draw with the Netherlands as well. Now, Finland and Russia, as I said on the predictions video, I think they're heading for a group stage exit. It depends what happens in them, the match between them. If there's a winner there, and if they don't ship too many goals against Belgium, I think which is the key, they will be um, they'll be okay in terms of qualifying third place. But I do think that group stage is where they'll end their ride here. Finland are just happy to be there. It's not a knock on them, but is everything's a bonus, which which is why I think they'll beat Russia in St. Petersburg as left field as a uh, prediction that might be, but they're just happy to be there. They've got an Iceland vibe about them. Obviously, that's a lazy comparison because you're comparing Nordic countries, obviously very different cultures, obviously. I don't want to tie them all with a one brush, uh, but Finland, they're just happy. It's the same with North Macedonia. They're, they're happy to be there. Everything's a bonus. I expect North Macedonia to do something against Austria. We'll discuss that um, in a couple of days. And um, yeah, I think... I do think it'll be a group stage exit because I don't think Finland will have enough against Belgium, against Denmark, and the goal difference may count against them in terms of third place. So on tomorrow's show, on the seventh episode, we'll be talking about Denmark versus Finland. We'll be talking about Wales versus Switzerland, Belgium versus Russia. Also, we've got the preview to the England game. Will they win? Of course they will. It's coming home, isn't it? Obviously, <laughs> we'll have a very different story about that maybe on there. Uh, on Monday morning, when we uh, cover that as well, we'll also obviously we'll be back tomorrow covering all those things that I just discussed. Leave us a like, leave us a subscribe, five-star review, please, on there. Anywhere you get your podcast helps us uh, out immeasurably in terms of uh, the good old algorithms. Uh, obviously, Acast, Spotify, Amazon and Apple. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash what if football in terms of donations, in terms of the Euro Daily podcast. I'll write the way until July the 12th. We're on there as well in terms of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support over the last 18 months. It's been fantastic. And until tomorrow, see they up the three lions. Podcast Network.